where we're closing out our series, Born for This. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And the title of my message this afternoon is, Whatever Happens. It's the first two words that Paul expresses in verse 27 in Philippians 1 that we've been exploring these last few weeks. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Philippians 1. I'm going to read verses 19 through 30, but the core focus this afternoon will be verses 27 through 30. I am reading the ESV. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, again your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, now you hear I still have. So we're going to be going on a little bit of a journey this afternoon. And I want us at the, at the start of our time together to put ourselves in Paul's shoes. I want us to consider that. But the first question I have for you is, the season that you're in right now today, do you find it a challenging, a testing season? Are you experiencing discouragement, disappointment? I want to be clear to each and every one of us today that we are created by God to handle the inevitable pressure that is attached to our calling. I would say nudge the person next to you and tell them that, but we are socially distant and so we're two meters apart. We cannot escape the challenges that emerge in our Christian life, but we can overcome them. And as we will see through the verses that we've just read in Philippians 1 here, suffering is not evidence or proof that God's favor towards us has vanished, but actually it's proof that God is maturing us and bringing us about to his glory through our lives, through the same path that Jesus himself walked. But let's take a moment and remind ourselves of the context. Paul here is showing comprehensive, unwavering joy. And I want you to consider his place. He's in prison. 
He's in Rome. His friends have rejected him. At this point in his own journey, Paul does not even know if he's going to be released or executed. And yet he's got unspeakable, indescribable joy. When was the last time we had this level of joy in our own Christian walk? Because he's got no understanding of what the future necessarily holds, but he knows who holds his future. That is very, very important for us in our journey. And yet he demonstrates impeccable and pure joy. So the reality for us is we need to consider the lens with which Paul viewed his life. He saw it through the lens of Christ. We cannot allow the natural fleeting emotions of our hearts and minds to dictate and determine where we believe we stand with Christ. But actually, we need to stand strong in the faith. We need to see our life, the circumstances surrounding our life, through the lens of Christ. Amen? Then we, re then we experience perfect peace. Regardless of our plight, we will prevail over the challenges, over the ch issues that are emerging in our life. Make no mistake, the joy that Paul had was not fueled, was not facilitated, was not in any way presented to him by anything that the world had to offer him. Nothing could tantalize and tease Paul away from who he was in God. It was a joy fueled and founded and fashioned and formed by the Holy Spirit that was operating in every single area of his life. And the reality, the tenacity, the courage, the resilience, the resolve that Paul was demonstrating here did not happen overnight. That's why we're on a journey in our Christian walk, because the, the challenges that we have, we can overcome them. But sometimes the things that God has to work in us and through us don't change us overnight. Nobody here got, we might have got born again overnight, but the change to who you are today versus who you were day one of who you were as a believer will be substantially different. I know that that's the case for me. No amens in the house, please. <laughs> i tell you how it occurred for Paul. It occurred through the intimate relationship that he had with Jesus. He allowed Jesus to work in and through his heart. That's what propelled him to embrace every challenge as he developed that resilience and that robustness to everything that was operating in his life contrary to the kingdom of God. He was steadfast. He was resolute in his deep-rooted desire to honor Christ in his body. Hands up, has any of us arrived at that place today? No, I haven't either. We probably haven't because we haven't gone through the trials that Paul has gone through. So it's probably not a lack of desire on our part, but it's just a lack of the persecution or the level of challenges that Paul went through. But perhaps the same is true for us today. You may find yourself in the coming days and weeks, depending on how bold and strong you are for Christ, facing the same challenges, facing the same, same trials, What's your response going to be? What's my response going to be? I hope and pray that we will have Paul's courage and Paul's heart in this moment. But this here gives us a clear demonstration of the magnificent maturity that Paul had in his relationship with Christ. Paul achieved it, which means we can too. We must continually allow ourselves to surrender to God's plans and God's purposes. But more than this, this is the tough one, I find. We have to be prepared to pay the price for our convictions. Often we say X, but then we deliver X minus a certain percentage, right? And the challenge attached to that is that what we say with our mouth, what we declare with our mouth, but what we actually believe in our heart, 
the gap can be quite substantial. We need to narrow that gap. For Paul, there was no gap. He, he was prepared to pay the highest price for his conviction, and yet there he is, rejected by his friends, in prison, no idea what his future held, no idea if he would be executed the following morning, usually at dawn, and yet he still had indescribable joy. We need to get back to that place, amen? Return to us the joy of our salvation. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. This is the day the Lord has made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad, amen? Joy is an incredible fruit for us to capture in our hearts and lives. But how did Paul have it? When you consider the context, the culture, Paul recognized that he had a purpose that superseded his circumstances. Hello? He recognized that he had a purpose that reached far beyond his present circumstances. And the challenge for us as Christians so often is that we only focus on the here and the now. What's happening in my life today? What's going wrong today? What do I need to work on today? And yet Paul had a view for eternity. He had a view that went far, far beyond that. The reality is we too have the same ability in our lives because if we look at all there is on this earth, we will live for only what lasts here. Some money in the bank, maybe. Some popularity, 50 likes on your Facebook page. You know, that stuff doesn't really hold water when you look at it in light of eternity. You know that you won't have something worth living for until you have something worth dying for. It's hard one, that. It's a nice thought. It's a lot harder to live it out, right? But that's what Paul is calling us to do. That's what Christ ultimately is calling us to do. There is an undeniable, unquantifiable freedom in acknowledging and arriving at the point where the purposes that we possess in Christ are so vast, so expansive, that we simply have nothing to lose. It will change and shift the way you live your life. Acts 20 verse 24 informs us, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I finish my course and ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel and the grace of Jesus our Lord. Have you ever heard the phrase, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay? Anyone? Come on, let's have some honesty in the room at least. Online, you're welcome to, to write in. You know, I, I don't want to use the word hate, but that, that phrase, I was so guilty of it many times, but it frustrates me. Do you know what it is? It's a conscious or subconscious, verbal, or in your mind, statement of a lie. It says that the enemy is ruling and reigning. It says that your circumstances are winning, and yet we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are the head, not the tail. We're the first, not the last. We're clothed in royal robes. Under the circumstances. No, 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 no. We need to rise above our circumstances. Our senior minister, Pastor Colin, preached a brilliant message only three or four Sundays ago on rising or living above disappointment. 
So are we going to allow the circumstances of our life to define us? Or are we going to allow what God is forming and forging in our hearts and lives to shape our hearts and lives? Because it can't be both. It's one or the other. And it's a choice that we make each and every day. So how do we emerge from the challenges in our lives with credit and confidence? The sole starting point is the authenticity and the strength of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God has no grandchildren. You don't live your work, walk with Christ through your mom or your dad, through your pastor, your cell leader, through your best friend. It's an intimate relationship. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That's it. It's a direct relationship. It's not through somebody else. Paul's aspirations, Paul's goals, his motivation, his heart, everything permanently changed him when he encountered Christ. Can we say the same today? Have our goals, our aspirations, the things that motivate us, the things that get us out of bed every morning, changed and shaped our hearts after we accepted Christ? If not, why not? I'm not going to go into my story because we don't have the time, and you're not interested, I'm sure. But I wasn't motivated for anything of the kingdom a while ago. Things had to change in my heart. Things had to change in my mind. I had to get a fresh perspective. I had to start to see things the way that God saw things, not the way that I saw things. Because we're inherently selfish. We're inherently self-obsessed. And yet here, Paul is telling us, the only thing of any value is what God has called you to do for the kingdom. Encountering Christ will ultimately change every aspect of your life. It will maneuver and elevate your life above the fleeting temporary impact that you may think that you can make in the world to making a sizable, spiritual, eternal impact in the world. So Paul subscribed to and demonstrated three kingdom principles that guaranteed his success in eclipsing his challenges and his circumstances. Number one, he had conviction. Paul had conviction. He had complete and total trust that God was in exclusive and sole control of every single area of his life. Verse 19 informs us of that. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out to be my deliverance. You and I are standing in Paul's shoes today. We have only two choices. First, to believe all the coincidences, all the God moments that may or may not be happening in our lives, or we choose to allow the lies of the enemy to become our portion, that we're not good enough, that God has forsaken us, that God is not breaking through, that God is somehow not at work in our lives. Do you know the key to overcoming this, the conviction, to have that conviction in our heart, is that we need to learn to look back. It's not often I would make a comment like that, but when you start to ruminate, to reflect, on all that God has done, your, your mind is blown. Psalm 77 is one of my favorite psalms. I think it's true of every Christian. You can read it, verses 5 through 8 or 9, I think, and then verse 11, he really starts to wake up. He talks about how God has forsaken him, has his steadfast love of the Lord ceased, has his mercies never, never been formed and forged in my heart. Everything's starting to fall apart as he expresses the sorrow and anguish in his heart. But then he says, then I remember... Then I remember your wonderful deeds, plural, from when? Long ago. Long ago. God has been faithful. Amen. Amen. Have that conviction. Remind yourself of the prayers that you don't pray anymore. 
Why? Because God delivered. He didn't just deliver with flimsy, feeble answers. No, no, he delivered majestically, fully, formed, developed in such a way that it could only be God, only his fingerprints on your life. And therefore, he and he alone gets the glory. You can't turn around and say, oh, it might have been my boss or it might have been my friend. No, no, no. God and God alone did it. So let's not lose sight of that. Let's hold fast to our conviction this afternoon. Number two, priority. We have to recognize that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. That goes against the culture of this age. How many Facebook friends do you have? Well, that defines how important I am, apparently. How many people liked your status? I don't care. Like, I'm not, I don't measure my life by that. That's not my value stick. But we have to recognize that we are part of something far greater than ourselves. The question is, friends, this afternoon, do we want to give ourselves to something that is bigger than ourselves? More often than not, we will say yes, but the, the answer in our heart is often no. Because Paul point blank refused to measure what was happening in his life according to the comforts, the joys that he was experiencing in that moment. He measured everything against whether or not he would accomplish what God has called him out to do. Do we do the same? Now, before we say yes and amen, take one moment. Be honest with yourself. Like I mentioned before, there's often a gap between what we say and what we believe. Paul had no gap. Three times in this portion of scripture in Philippians 1, he proves it. Verse 12, I want you to know. So he's saying, this is important. Brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's saying, it's not about me. It's about the advancement of the gospel. Verse 18, only in every way, whether even in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, I will rejoice. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. That leads me on to my third point, perspective. We need to take a much longer, a much wider, but even more important than that, an eternal view of our lives. Do you find yourself defaulting to living with everything here on earth? That's all that's available to you. If so, you are robbing yourself of the reality of heaven in that moment. God wants to give us hope, direction, and power. We've got to make sense of what is here on this earth, but we're only going to see that with having the correct perspective. Because the challenge for us is that we've all got felt needs. The here and the now is what's most important. But the important crowds out what God wants to do in our hearts. A wise person will always assess their life in its entirety. You always see these moments in movies, right, where people are dying and they know they're about to die and they say they wish they had done more of this or less of that. They have seen their life in its fullness in that moment. But God's perspective is solely focused on eternity. Do we have that focus this afternoon? Because our jobs, our possessions, our titles, our responsibilities pale into futile insignificance when framed against the reality of eternity. That we are both members and contributors to heaven. So we have a lot of work to do here on this earth. Verse 27, Whatever happens, i.e. immaterial, 
of what happens to me, irrespective of the season, the circumstance, the challenges, whatever I find myself in, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have a high calling in Christ to achieve. Amen? And Paul is calling us, urging us, instructing us to reflect the teachings of Christ, the principles, the values of the kingdom here. Now, recognize this. You will never, ever regret completing something that God has asked you to do. Have you ever thought about that? It's quite sobering because lots of times we think God has asked us to do something and we often wonder, did God ask me to do this or am I just thinking this is a good idea? But when God has genuinely called you to do something and you complete it, you will never regret it. Because you're going to hear the words, enter good and faithful. Have you been faithful to what God has asked you to do? There is a difference between being faithful and being successful in the kingdom. God calls us to be faithful. With faithfulness, I believe there is a measure of ministry or spiritual success. But it doesn't come in front of faithfulness. So if you're faithful, God will work in you and through you. Do not settle for mediocrity. Remind yourself of your worth in Christ. You are his prized possession. Amen? He has chosen us out of all the earth to be his disciples. Deuteronomy reminds us. So the sermon title is Whatever Happens, which means irrespective of whether you're being persecuted, whether you're finding challenges, whether you're finding issues and rejection and downturn in every area of your life, whether those moments are ceasing, whether they're elevating, whether they are consistent, know this. If we choose to live out what God has called us to, we will be victorious. Why? Because we are living it out regardless of the cost to ourselves. We are doing it for God and for God alone. And therefore, He will find a way. You know the song? He made a way. Y'all know it, right? When our back's against the wall and it looked as if it was over. And I'm standing here only because you made a way. So let's not sing the lies. Amen? Hello? Let it be true in our hearts. God has done it, and God will do it again in Jesus' name. But we have to have that conviction, not convenience. If, I, if it's convenient, I'll do it. No, 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 conviction in our lives. So here are some ABCs, Sunday School Christianity, of living a life that is worthy of the gospel. Love people. There's an idea, practically, by the way. Serve them. Facilitate other people's interests above your own. Stop complaining. Ever met a Christian that complains? Come on. You're in church. I know one or two. No, 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 no. We are more than conquerors. And don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have and God will provide. Amen. Rejoice. And develop a heart of contentment in your life. That you're content with what you've got, with where you are. Unity. We must be advanced. We must be together in our advancement of the gospel. Everything that you do in your daily life for Jesus, you should consider it a mini mission. 
A mission is not going to a far-flung part of the world for a week. No. A mission is everything that God is calling you to do day by day, week by week, month by month. Paul's motivation is this. His intimate, authentic, honest relationship with Christ facilitated everything that he was doing in his life. That was his chief cornerstone. Make that the truth for you this afternoon. It is precisely from that relationship that everything else flowed and subsequently influenced every other area of Paul's life. Nothing will bring you greater joy than growing in deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. If there's one thing you do, pursue that. And as you pursue that, you start to download into your heart what's on God's heart. And you will start to do what God has called you to do out of obedience and honor to Him, even if sometimes you aren't sure why. But He reveals it on that journey. Why? Because God is good. So let's read verse 29 together again. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also suffer for Him. I'm really sorry about the last few words in that. Paul, thinks, Paul makes two things explicitly clear in this particular verse. To believe in Christ. Okay, hopefully we've all bought into that. Hopefully we are all citizens of the kingdom. But he also implies suffering. He also states it. And he actually indicates that the two are interlinked because he uses the word also. So you can't have almost, you can't have one without the other. A thought for you to take home with this afternoon. How do you feel about that? that Christ has actually granted it, that we would suffer. Are you comfortable with that? Are you okay with that? Are you ready for that? But I want us, as we draw our time to a close this afternoon, to evaluate, a self-evaluation of the level of joy that you experience in your own walk with Christ. Be honest with yourself. Do you remind yourself every day that God is sovereign and God is in control, or do you just look at the circumstances? Do you look at the, the chain, the prison that you may find yourself in today? What steps have you taken to advance the kingdom? Nobody can add to the perfection of Christ, but our heart's desire should be to solely to magnify the Lord, to testify of His grace, His love, His mercy, and His goodness. And as you choose intentionally, hopefully today, to start to clear away some of the clutter, sweep up the debris in your life, dismiss the distractions, you'll be left with only one thing, your relationship with Christ. Which brings us to remembrance where Paul started this letter from, in prison. So do we remind ourselves on that regular basis, not just who Jesus is to us, but what Jesus has done for us? As we remind ourselves of this, it should persuade us that God is good. Even through the storm, he is in control. Therefore, we can confidently, confidently declare verse 21, for me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. It is personal, it is unique, and it should be deeply impressed on each and every one of our hearts. If you take one thing away from this entire series, recall this. You are born for this. You are born for this. Jesus and Jesus alone is our joy. Amen? And so some final encouragement for us this afternoon. How do we get to that place in our own lives today, 21st century Western world? Well, if we want to live a life that's genuinely worthy of the gospel, there are four fruits 
that manifest after verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That would indicate to me that the first fruit that is evidenced here is unity. Striving firm in one spirit, with one mind, side by side. It's got this army look and feel to it, but it screams unity. And we know that God commands a blessing when God's people gather together in his name for his purposes. Amen? I love the word striving. Striving for something something is showing sacrifice. There's a willingness. There's an intentionality. There's a, a work ethic involved. This is not just tokenistic, you know, I'll do the bare minimum just to get by. This is someone that's really pushing and straining for the very, very best. So the second fruit that I believe is manifesting or should manifest in our life is toughness. Pastor Collins declared it many, many times. Things are going to get harder for us as Christians, which means we need to get tougher, not physically, spiritually. Amen? We need to be undeterred by the intensity, the length, or the volume of the effort that we have to put in. We need to be completely sold out in our efforts, knowing that our labor in love is not in vain. Three, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, you could just sweep over that and wouldn't think too much of it. But I believe the third fruit that emerges here is bravery. 2 Timothy tells us, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, which means that we cannot allow fear to steal our calling. We need to be bold, courageous, fearless. We are overcomers. And number four, suffer for his sake. I alluded to it earlier. The more we live like Christ, the more we will go through what Christ went through. Christ went through suffering, we go through suffering. He went through persecution and ridicule, we will go through persecution and ridicule. So I believe the fourth fruit that emerges here is a correct attitude. Our attitude determines our altitude. We must embrace the grace of God. But this appeal to us, friends, is wonderful. If, if we show all these fruits in our lives, in our cell groups, in our relationships with each other, in our time of, of fellowship, in different ways, in different areas, God will get all the glory. And therefore, whatever happens, whatever happens, unity will be built. We will develop toughness. We will demonstrate bravery. We will have the correct attitude. The church of Jesus Christ here in KTLCC will flourish. It's as simple as that. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because you are born for this. To live is Christ and to die is gain.